0: All right, so we are gonna continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we're gonna take a look at verse seven again. We've already covered verse seven, but what Paul, the apostle Paul writes in verse seven really begins to unfold through the remainder of chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. So this verse is really important to understand what Paul is saying so that we'll understand what we're gonna go over for the next three weeks. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says this really important thing. He says, to each, that's each Christian, is given the manifestation of the Spirit, meaning God's Spirit is in you in a way that it shows on the outside for the common good. So much of what the Apostle Paul continues to write in his letter to the church in Corinth is an explanation of what he means by common good. Now in the original language, it's just one word that translates into common good. And you can actually translate it into English two different ways. One is to make something better. So this word means to make something better, but it also could be translated to come together. And so it's really both of those ideas merged in the one that when we come together, we're made better right? And so the sermon title for today is Better Together. This really simple yet life-impacting concept that you and I as Christians are actually better, we're made better when we're together. And so now what Paul is going to do is he's going to be explaining how that works and why that is and, and what that looks like in the life of the church, So today we're going to talk about Better Together. Next Sunday we'll come back and talk about our spiritual gifts rooted in love. And then the final uh, sermon in this series, we're going to talk about um, speaking in tongues and prophecy and how all gifts are given to build the church up. And that's where we'll end this sermon series. And then we're going to the book of Colossians after that. I'm excited about that series as well. So in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians... Um, in verse 12, uh, the, the Apostle Paul continues this thought. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the mem- and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So now what Paul is doing is he's taking the concept of the Trinity, the oneness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, and now he's saying, now when you come together as many members, that people outside the church would see a oneness in you, so that the oneness of God Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit would be reflected in our oneness. One body. And so for chapter 12, Paul is going to draw on the illustration of a human body as as somewhat of a a metaphor or, or, or or a living illustration of what he means. And so he says, he says this: for just as the body is one and has many members, so are you, the members of the church. You are members of the body. And though there's a whole bunch of you. There are many of you. You're one in Christ. So, here's what that means. If you are a Christian, you are part of something that is bigger than you. Now, you may have come to church this morning hoping to get something out of your experience. Hoping to maybe hear from God or... To encounter God or to find an answer to a question that you're longing for. Maybe you're in a desperate place in your life and you're looking for hope or meaning or a way out. And and so you came to church for a reason that was very personal and that's okay. We believe God meets us in those very personal moments. But what Paul is saying is that the moment we step into the church, it's no longer primarily about me. It now becomes about us that my presence here today, although I will hear from God and encounter God, is not just about me, it's about us. It's about God speaking to us and God moving in us and God working right in our lives together. Because even though there are many people in this room from many different backgrounds, many different socioeconomic backgrounds, many different ethnicities in the room, even different languages, different church experiences. The many come together as one. So it is with Christ. Now that's a really important phrase in this passage, because I believe Paul is saying two things. First of all, I think what he's saying is, apart from Christ, this can't happen. So take a room full of people with all your diversity different generations, different colors of skin, different strengths, different weaknesses, and just throw them in a room and there'll be no oneness. The only way that diversity is brought together in oneness is through Christ. I mean, look around the room. We're very different, aren't we? Lots of different personalities in the room, different backgrounds, experiences, and, and what is it then that draws us to this place? at this time, it is Christ. That's why you're here. So it is with Christ. But I think he's also saying something else, that to not operate in oneness, to not walk in unity with one another is to decline to interact with Christ, right? We can't expect God to work in our church when we're walking in division. When we're not walking as one body, we're not walking as one in Christ. And so, right, as a church, we can't separate into our little cliques and the people that we're comfortable being around, walking in division, allowing right, hurt and and, and and lack of reconciliation to go on, and at the same time saying, Oh God, come bless what we're doing. Come make us a powerful church. Come work through us powerfully in this community. Because Christ does not endorse division. And Paul is laboring to make that point, church. Anything God does in our midst or through us, right, is dependent upon our oneness. So it is with Christ. One body, many members. And what's beautiful is that when we walk in oneness with one another, we reflect the image of a deity that is beyond us. And people see God in us. When somebody who isn't a Christian steps into this place, they should see something about us that is different. They should see a reflection of the oneness of Christ. Now, what is gonna happen next in verse 14? Paul is gonna begin to explain practically um, how our oneness with one another works, right? So what does he mean by that? So in verse 14, he says, for, here's how it works, for the body does not consist of one member, but many, or a variety. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Now, where would be the sense of smell? So, again, he's continuing that body illustration to describe how we work together. And the key word in these few verses is the word Belong. So the eye can't look over at the ear, because see, the ear can't look, right? So the eye can't look over at the ear and go, you know what, you're different from me, right? So we don't belong together. Paul's saying, no, actually, the opposite is true. The ear and the eye, independent from one another, can't exist, right? They belong to one another. They share the same body. And so what Paul is saying about you and I is this you belong to me, and I belong to you. Wait, We're not just a mere gathering of people who like to sing together, and right, who like to hear the Bible being taught. We belong to one another. Like, look across the room right now. Just do this. We'll do it a couple times a day, and find somebody, just put your eyes on somebody you don't know, okay? Just do that real quick, yeah. There should be somebody in the room that you don't know. What Paul is saying is that when we're in Christ, whether you know each other or not, we belong to one another. Your gifts belong to one another. You're no longer your own, you've been bought with a price, and now you belong to this thing we call the church. And so the eye can't look at the ear and go, I don't really like you, I don't get you, I don't understand you. Let's go separate ways, you can't do that. Why, because you're sharing real estate. (laughs) <laughs> on the face, <laughs> right? But you're just going to say, I don't think so. You've got to stay put, because you belong to me, and I belong to you. We are better together because, first of all, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. He goes on in verse 18. I love this phrase. It's gonna come up twice. He says, but as it is, God arranged. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So in the same way, in a physical sense, God knit you together in your mother's womb, gave you a nose and some eyes and ears and mouth. What Paul is saying, God does the same thing in church life. He arranges us. He brings together the right amount of giftings and strengths right, to to draw us together as one. So there are just enough people in this church who have the gift of teaching. Some of you may have the gift and you're not using the gift, but God has arranged you in this church and given you the gift of teaching to teach. We have just the right number, of people with the hospitality gift, right? So when we come together, if those people are exercising their gift, hospitality is gonna happen. Now, can you imagine what it would look like in this place if everybody had the hospitality gift and no other gifts were present? If we, right, I see some of you going, yeah, right? (laughs) We would be a fun group of people, right? But the gospel would, would probably never be taught, right? discernment would never happen. Wisdom would never be employed. Why? Because we need one another. And what Paul is saying is God has arranged, he has ordained your giftings to complement one another. It might mean that if God calls you to go to another church down the road, some other, maybe you move jobs or move towns, or God calls you to go somewhere and serve, and like your gifts may change depending on what? What's needed. In that particular church because your gifts are not about you they're about God arranging the body just like a human body in a way where we are better together God has arranged he has put it in place he has ordained each member of the body we have the right number of people we have the right gifts present now in a lot of ways the the relationship that we have one another as Christians parallels the relationship of a husband and wife. Matter of fact, almost everything is the same. Like the subtle, the, the one major difference is the intimacy of that marriage relationship, but apart from that, almost everything else applies. In the same way a husband and wife walk in a covenant relationship with one another, so do we who are in Christ. In the same way, a husband and wife are no longer their own, but they now belong to one another and are no longer two separate individuals, but now walk in oneness, so do you and I. In the same way, God has ordained that marriage would be this lifelong bond that despite difficulties that may come up and conflict, the two would remain one and not be separated, right? So too you and I. It's God's desire for you in Christ in the church. Not this easy come, easy go. Well, I don't like this place anymore. I'm mad at this person or this person rubs me wrong and so I'm gonna go find another place. God says, no, no, no. You're in a covenant relationship with one another. You belong to one another. The same way a husband and wife have been called to be fruitful and multiply, so too have we. This is what Jesus said. You guys go out into the world and make what? Disciples of the nations. Be fruitful and multiply. Let this covenant relationship you have with one another produce good fruit. Bring others into the kingdom. Grow them in maturity in Christ. In the same way that a husband and wife come together in this complementary relationships where his strengths meet her weaknesses and her strengths meet his weaknesses and the two are better as one, so too are you and I. This is how God has arranged it he's ordained it. And one of the beautiful things about what we're learning to do as a church is is to walk in this oneness um, in collaboration. Because if this is true, then no one person in our church has all the gifts, which means no one person in our church has all the strengths. And so if that's true, then we need to work together. You you need my strengths and I need your strengths. And so we're learning how this works like in collaboration. So for example, the elders of our church, we have eight elders. No one elder knows the decision that needs to be made. We come to our decisions together. It's 100% unanimous consensus or nothing. And here's what happens. One, we just make better decisions that way. But number two, we find the unity of the Holy Spirit in that. Because if six elders are saying one thing and two elders are saying another thing, there's no unity in that. It's not a majority vote because the majority will oftentimes get it wrong. Right? As an elder body, we come together with our different strengths and weaknesses and gifts and we submit those to the, to the whole. and We say, I don't belong to me, I belong to you. You belong to me and we collaborate and we're better together. So oftentimes, if you bring something to one of the elders, they'll respond to you by saying, hey, with your permission, I'd like to take that to the other elders. We do this in staff. We do this in team ministries. I'll give you an example. Case in point is this sermon. So on a given week, preparing for a sermon, I do all the background work, pull apart the text, put it back together, do my best to discern what God desires for you for that following Sunday. And then by Thursday, I take all my notes and my sermon, my at best, it's a C plus, B minus sermon, and I, I bring it, uh, and I sit down with a with with team, at least one person, sometimes it's Nick, and Jeff Rathbun, and, and others will join us, and, and I go through it with them, and say, listen, this is what God has shown me from his word, and what I believe he wants to share with our people, and they give me feedback, they collaborate with me, They validate where they think I'm right on. They they share with me where they think I may have missed it. They offer up helpful advice and illustrations and things to think about. And I try to give them credit anytime. But here's the point. Like they make what was already maybe just mediocre or decent. They make it what? Better. Together we're better but that's not even the end of the sermon process. We, we take that then and I go back into uh, my study and I, and I work through it again and, and try to work on a sermon title and I get a summary that goes out in email that you read and, and, and then that goes on to our communications team and then they get a hold of it and they correct not only the spelling mistakes and the grammatic mistakes and make me look smarter, but they think about you. And they think about you listening to it and reading those words and then they give me feedback and they say, are you sure this is how you want to say that? And in my pride I say, yes, it's exactly how I want to say that. And then the Holy Spirit humbles me and then I come back around and say, well, what suggestion do you have? And listen, communications team with no theology degree, believers filled with the Holy Spirit of God will sometimes help make the sermon better. See how we're better together? We work together with our different gifts, and I have to trust the gifts of our communications team. Doesn't mean they have the final word, but it's this collaborative effort. We, because we believe what Paul's saying here. We're better together. So when I finished the sermon this week, had everything laid out, I sat down with Nick, and I said, okay, here, let me go through this with you. I don't have a sermon title yet, but by the time we get done, hopefully you can make a suggestion. So I go through the whole thing and I get all the way down to the end. I'm like, okay, is that all you have? He said, yeah, except for can we go back to the sermon title? So yeah, he said, I think I have it. What is it? Better Together. He actually came up with the sermon title. Case in point, right? You see how that works? And now apply that to every aspect of who we are. Apply that to community group. Apply that to team ministries working. Apply that to student ministry, kids ministry. And we see how God has arranged. Us, in a way that complements strengths and weaknesses and together we're better. Verse 21, he's gonna continue with this body illustration and look at what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So he's pulling that same illustration now uh, forward and what he was talking about by belonging to one another. Ear belongs to the eye. Now he's saying not only do you belong to one another, now you now need one another. Right? So we belong to one another, and we need one another. And when we think about the human body, like, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Like, how good would the eyes be without the mouth or the feet or the hand? And he's saying, listen, listen, I know that's simple, but that's you, the church. You can't look across the room and say, I don't need you. I just need these two or three people here, or I just need my time with Jesus. No, you actually need one another. And then he says again in verse 24, but God has so composed the body. God has orchestrated the coming together of this church. He composed it, he arranged it. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That's why this morning I took some time to call out our tech team." I think this is what he's talking about. There are going to be certain people who serve in the church. If you don't stop and honor them and acknowledge them, right, most people will think it's a very insignificant part of what we do. And Paul's saying, actually, the most, what seems like the most insignificant parts of the body oftentimes are the most significant. The parts that don't ever get honored are the parts that oftentimes need to be honored, right? That's God saying to me, hey, Jason, you get plenty of limelight and attention, right? Right? Let's think about those who are serving in ways that people aren't even aware of, and let's honor them. But God has so composed the body. Verse 25, that there may be no what? Division. Division. You feel the, the weight of that point Paul's making here? So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen, we're better together because we can accomplish more together for the kingdom. But we're also better together because we need one another. Now, I love where he ends in verse 26 because if you're task driven like me and you think about what Paul's saying, right, you're tempted to think this is just about getting stuff done, right? We're going to get more stuff done if we bring our talents together for the kingdom. Now, that's true. I think there's a synergy that happens when we come together. But look at where he lands in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He goes back to our familial bond. We're family. This isn't just about getting stuff done. We haven't been called in oneness so that we can be the most productive church in Fort Worth. We've been called to oneness so that when you suffer, I feel it. And when I rejoice, you join in. Now there's another way that, that this could be expressed. This is, I didn't come up with this phrase, but biblical community, what Paul is saying here, divides grief and multiplies joy. When we walk in oneness, a biblical community, our grief, our sorrows, and our suffering are divided and our joy is truly multiplied. So in a practical sense, what that looks like is when you're going through something hard, when you're walking in oneness, especially if you're prideful like me and you don't like to ask for help, it's okay because the people who are walking with you in oneness, they feel it and they just know it. Right? Right? and they come to you even without asking for help, and they say, hey, I'm bringing over some food, so you might as well tell me what you like, right? I'm not even asking you if I can. All I'm saying is I'm bringing it, so you better tell me what you're allergic to and what you don't like, because I'm bringing you food, right? Because I feel it, even though you don't wanna admit that you need anything or that you're hurting, I feel it, so I'm bringing you food. Or I'm keeping your kids Friday night, You don't have to go on a date with your wife, but I'm keeping your kids, so you might as well. Somebody else heard I was keeping your kids, and they said, here, give them this gift card. I know you're tough, and you can handle everything you're going through. Whatever. But listen, let us share the burden. right? I can't can't heal your pain, but I can carry some of the burden. I can divide your grief. I can divide your sorrow, and I can carry a little bit of it. Right, just a small bit of it. And this is what Paul is saying, we walk in oneness together, we suffer together. Right, so when you say to me, or to Nick, or one of the other pastors, listen, I don't wanna be a burden to you, you're denying us our biblical, joyful responsibility. When you say to another person in the church, oh, I just don't wanna be a burden to you, you're walking in disobedience to the scriptures. You with me? God says, no, that's not, I designed the body to share burdens. Be a burden. Invite people into your sorrow, but also invite people into your joy. When a baby is born, kid graduates from high school that we never thought would. (laughs) Those big moments where God works in your life, we share that with one another And what happens is we rejoice together. And the glory of God becomes vibrant and bright and amplified when we rejoice together over what God is doing in your life. And that doesn't happen unless we're walking in oneness. Paul's point today is pretty simple, yet I think it's challenging. We're better together. We need each other belong to one another, our gifts complement one another, there's a synergy when we come together, but it's about the oneness of reflecting the Godhead to the world around us. Listen, if you're here today, there are two things I want you to take away from today's message. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you stepped into this room Um, looking for some kind of answer for the meaning of life, or why you were here, or who God is, what God wants you to, to hear right now is this. Listen, apart from God, there is no hope. Apart from a real relationship with the creator of the universe, there is no hope. And so God is inviting you into a relationship with him. Listen, that's a big deal. The creator of the universe, like the being that spoke the universe into existence is now speaking to you, inviting you into a relationship. So how do you do that? By simply coming to a place in your life where you're ready to admit your failures and your sin, to say, listen, God, I've made a mess of things. I am a sinner, and not only that, there is no way I can fix myself. Unless you fix me, I have no hope. Right, when we humble ourselves before Christ in faith, he wraps his arms around us. He pours out his forgiveness on us. He makes us not only clean, but completely righteous and and ushers us into a daily relationship. Listen, if you have not made that decision, taken that step of faith towards Christ, before we ever talk about being a part of the church, being a part of the body or spiritual gifts, like we have to start here by trusting that what Jesus did for you on the cross is enough. It's enough. He paid the price for you. He took your place. He's not asking you to pay him back. All he's saying is, trust in me. Trust in me. And if that's you, I pray you'll make that decision today. Now, for the rest of us who are Christians, As we're walking through 1 Corinthians 12, some of you are going, amen, amen, that's me. I'm so glad I'm a part of the church. And others of you are thinking, wow, I kind of feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm walking in oneness with the body. I want you to to hear me say something in love. Listen, you, you weren't meant to walk alone. This is not God saying, hey, here's how most of the church is gonna work. He's saying this is how all believers are to function and operate. There's no room on the peripheral for outliers. This applies to every Christian in the room. And if that's you and you feel like you're on the peripheral looking in and maybe you're not quite sure how to step into the oneness of this church, we we are anxious to meet you there. Okay, there are a lot of different ways you could respond to that. You could grab your next steps <laughs> card very simply and just say, hey, I want, I want some help. Maybe there's something on this card that is your next step. Or maybe you want to come grab one of our pastors or elders and say, listen, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm a Christian, but I want, to, I, want, and I want to know more. How do I take that next step to become part of this body of Christians? And we want to meet you there and, and walk with you in that and pray with you as you discern that. So... Listen. I don't know how this has fallen on you today. Uh, maybe for the first time you've realized that um, being a Christian is not about you. <laughs> it's about your Savior, and it's about belonging to something bigger than you. Um, I'm going to pray for us now that we would respond, however God's speaking to you today. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We'll have prayer partners at the front and the back as well. Let's pray together, and then we will respond to how God has spoken. Father, thank you for God, the beautiful oneness of the church. Father, the sacred unity of the body of Christ. God, we confess that both in our culture today and even in our own hearts, that Father, we have a very lackadaisical perspective of what it means to be a part of your church. Many of us have a very flippant or casual idea of what it means to be a a part of the body of Christ. And today, God, you've spoken from your word. You've shown us that you have ordained, you have arranged, you have composed the church. Very specifically, God. Every member of the church on purpose. And God, you've called us in Christ to walk in oneness. Father, I pray you would expose this morning where there is division and a lack of oneness. If that's a a situation of conflict, God, would you, by your spirit, guide that conflict towards restoration and reconciliation? If somebody feels isolated or left out, God, would you usher that person into the community of Christ this morning? finally, God, I pray for those of us who are connected to this body, that we would be intentional and even go out of our way to pursue oneness. That, God, you would put it on our hearts to look for those on the peripheral, those who are outliers, that we would invite them in to be a part of this church. So we're not only asking God for oneness here, we're asking that you would take our oneness and let your glory shine to this community. Father, we pray all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.